Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. King Charles prepares to bring on his second prime minister in only two months. Meghan gives an in-depth interview to Variety. And on her Archetypes podcast, the Duchess of Sussex dives into her experiences of being typecast as a bimbo. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And goodbye to Liz Truss, the Prime Minister who lasted a mere 45 days before stepping down. That's right, Liz Truss, who the Queen invited to form a government on September the 6th, only two days before she died. Uh, Truss has resigned after facing nationwide criticism, including uh, some massive body blows from within her own Conservative Party over a programme of unfunded tax cuts that sent the economy into a death spiral. Yes, her popularity reached such a low that in a recent YouGov poll, she was ranked six points lower than Prince Andrew, disgraced, terrible Prince Andrew. And in a stunt that went viral, the Daily Star pitted a head of lettuce against Liz Truss to see which would last longer. The lettuce, as we now know, has won. So, Jack, I'm kind of giggling about this, but it actually is not a laughing matter. Tell us what comes next for Britain and for the monarchy. You are not the only one to have been giggling about it. We've all been absolutely in uh, simultaneously hysterics and in a state of perpetual dread, I think would probably be the best way to describe it. It's been <laughs> complete chaos and carnage. And it got as far as, you know, reports that MPs were being bundled, crying into the uh, parliamentary division lobbies to vote in favour of the government when they didn't want to on fracking. So it's it's been total, total carnage. And obviously at times, like this, it then falls to the monarch to play a role in what comes next. So um, Liz Truss handed her resignation or, or announced her resignation privately to Charles before she told the public today. Um, and there will now be a leadership election before a new party leader is chosen. I think a lot of people in the Conservative Party are hoping that this is going to be a really swift process. I've seen some reports suggesting it, that there's a desire for it to be done in about a week or so. But that is heavily dependent on whether they can kind of all ag- basically agree on a candidate. Um, and it looks like already that may not be quite as straightforward. Um, there are some reports that Boris Johnson might return, who uh, (gasps) he's currently on holiday in the Caribbean. Yeah, he's on holiday in the Caribbean, sunning himself on a beach. But he has indicated (laughs) that he considers that it would be in the national interest for him to make a return to politics. And despite the fact that he's hated by such a significant cross section of the population. So, um, yeah, so that will be extraordinary. But also, I mean, there's already... You know, noises coming out of a variety of different conservative politicians about a desire to stand in any leadership election. And I think that's exactly what the 
party wanted to avoid because if they if they could have engineered a situation where only one candidate was put forward then it would all have been done really fast and without involving the membership but obviously the membership elected Liz Truss they were put in a position where they had a really simple choice between you know during a cost of living crisis between an economist in Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss who uh, was mainly famous for getting angry about cheese um, so <laughs> they for some reason they chose Liz Truss that to people who don't know what the cheese is. So this, I think this, I have a vague feeling this was actually before she joined the Conservative Party because she used to be in the Lib Dems and she gave this really weird speech. I had a couple of like just really odd moments, one of which was that she uh, she declared that um, Britain was importing lots of cheddar cheese. Cheddar cheese is like British cheese. Um, and so, yeah, so she then went, that is a disgrace, uh, famously, <laughs> to, to kind of deathly silence in the room from a group of people who presumably didn't know why they were supposed to be outraged about cheese. But yeah, I, th- I think it was the same speech she gave. She gave this really other weird um, line about how excited she was about pork markets. So it was, it was a, the whole thing was a very odd moment for her, and it was a very odd reign as well. You know, she it spanned two months. Like she was in power for a couple of months. She came in. Two days after she's formed a government, the Queen passed away. So she everything was then put on hold for her for a number of days, for you know the eleven days of mourning. And then, uh, as soon as the royal mourning period was over, um, they launched this mini budget, which was basically going to cut taxes for the richest people in Britain during a cost of living crisis. And this did two things: it it uh, it sent a really terrible message because obviously there are going to be people who are going to be really suffering during you know we're, we're on the cusp of a two year session um but also they were unfunded right so that was going to mean a lot of government borrowing so the cost of government borrowing started to soar interest you know inflation started to soar then banks started pulling thousands of mortgage products interest rates put up interest rates on mortgage products people started to lose homes you know the people were getting to the point where they virtually like had deals to buy houses and then lost them because they lost their mortgage offers so it was total total carnage and um for a long period they just refused to accept that there was any crisis and um, yeah obviously it disintegrated but yeah I mean at some point presumably they'll pick someone through one means or another (laughs) I think a lot of people a lot of Tory MPs are desperate to keep the members out of it because the members made this terrible mistake of choosing trust but whether they'll be able to do that at the moment it's not looking like that's going to be possible so yeah we could wind up with Boris Johnson back and this is just yet another in I, I mean I, I just think like things could not have gotten worse than Boris from my side of the pond. We were thinking nothing could be worse than Boris. And then for Liz Truss to come in and kind of be like an inferior Margaret Thatcher 2.0, like let's just do some trickle down economics and let's let the rich people off the hook, but do it in a much, much, much worse way than Margaret Thatcher. It's just like she did a lot in just a, in just a few weeks. She Liz Truss. Yeah. <laughs> It's like they tried to cast an actress to play Margaret Thatcher in a film and pick yeah. someone who was really bad at it and then realised that they hadn't actually been casting for a role in, in a film. They'd been casting for the Prime Minister of the country. Um, and yeah, no, it was appalling. And 
you linked it to Thatcher. It's also, yeah, yeah and Ronald Reagan as well. Oh, Reconomics. yeah, Ronald I mean, Reagan too, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, trickle-down is very, is well proven not to work, and obviously the, mar- the markets hated it instantly. And it, it, this really weird um, situation developed where, you know, trust that like her whole wing of the far right of the Conservative Party are kind of libertarian um, free marketeers, and the markets gave the verdict faster than anybody. The, the markets hated it, and they started complaining about the fact that the markets were bringing down the government. But it's like, you're, you're free marketeer. Like, this is what you believe in. Like, you believe that the markets should rule. Like, you believe in the democracy of the markets, and now here it is destroying you. Like, you can't complain about that. This is your whole belief system ruling, giving its verdict on you. Um, so, yeah, it was... It's really bizarre, but the, I think the question for a lot of people is going to be whether we can, you know, whether Britain can stomach having another unelected prime minister um, for potentially another two years. I mean, the last general election was in December 2019, so you get five years, but they have like an extra month's leeway, so it then spills into January 2025. So hypothetically, the Conservative Party could cling on until then in the hope that something miraculously changes. But right now, they are predicted to have a complete wipeout at the next general election, like hundreds of MPs losing their seats. Um, and yeah, we are in a situation where Liz Truss, the, who will remain prime minister until a new leader is chosen, is actually less popular than Prince Andrew and is careering in the direction of being as unpopular as Vladimir Putin. I really, throughout all of this, have just been thinking, what would the Queen think of all of this? The Queen who was the, you know, the, the role model for a lot of people of what female leadership can look like. And this is, you know, this is wonderful. The queen gets to, you know, usher in Liz Truss, you know, a few days before she dies, she's bringing in another female prime minister. What a great legacy to end on. And then, no, it's not. This is not a great. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. This is not. Well, the Queen obviously was, I think, a symbol of kind of stability. And um, Liz Truss has brought an era of complete instability. Um, The Queen was a big believer in British institutions. And I think that Liz Truss's wing of the Conservative Party are big believers in tearing up orthodoxy and tearing up those institutions. And in the same way that Trump is a symbol of, you know, kind of chaos (laughs) and the anti-establishment right, they are the same, you know, they believe in the kind of woke conspiracy in the deep state and all of that. So, um, yeah, I think that Liz Truss is quite a long, long way from, you know, what the Queen actually symbolises, while also at the same time being somebody who probably held the Queen in enormous regard um, and, with you know, viewed her with enormous amounts of respect. I mean, obviously, there were always... There was always the kind of rumour that the Queen and that didn't like Thatcher very much, that Thatcher absolutely revered her, but the Queen um, didn't feel the same way, perhaps because the Tories, I think the Conservative Party, were viewed as the nasty party during that era, and it was felt that they were not kind to some of the poorest, most deserving people in society. Obviously, the royal family cut their trade by helping people. Um, but obviously, you know, as with everything... You know, those were never definitively confirmed. Nothing ever is with the Queen's opinion. I'm <laughs> sure it was denied by various people, so we'll never get to know for sure. No, I mean, I I do remember how the Crown treated that. <laughs> the Crown showed uh, Margaret Thatcher having just as much disdain for the monarchy as she possibly could, which was, was good for a laugh, I have to say, that particular season. <laughs> um, but 
I, I also just have to point out, Jack, not that this is King Charles's fault, but you said it there, the queen kind of stood for stability. Charles has only been on the throne for a few weeks now, and so far things are very not stable. This is mm. not a good defining moment for what does King Charles's reign look like. Yeah, I mean, actually, he um, there was this. But did you see the video of him meeting Liz Truss? He said he said he sort of she came in kind of all gracious and like curtsying and prostrating herself before him, and he said, "You again, ah, oh, dear, oh dear." <laughs> <laughs> um, which it was, I think, actually, a lot of people found completely hilarious. But it is interesting because it does feel. I don't know. I'm sure he didn't intend to tell the world what he thought of this trust, but it does feel. They call it emotional leakage, doesn't it? It does feel like this was Charles's verdict on this trust, um, which he's not really supposed to give, especially in you know on camera for the world to see. But yeah, so there's that aspect, yes. And also you said, you know, wider turmoil. You know, we still have some questions about what uh, what follows now. We still don't know about Archie and Lilibet and their titles, um, which actually I want to talk more about in our next segment. Um, but there, yeah, there are some big un- unanswered questions. We had There was a really weird th- thing this week, actually, which is that Camilla's ex-husband, Andrew Parker Bowles, um, represented her at, a, uh, at an event. Um, that yeah. she obviously couldn't go to so that was that was an oddity that was that was almost like Fergie and Andrew level of stuff you know like right really you and your ex are you really exes because it seems like you're very tight with each other you know covering each other's events I'll just step in for you honey it's fine <laughs> and also because um, obviously Fergie and Andrew like neither of them really moved on so it kind of made sense but obviously Camilla has definitely moved on from that, from that relationship. <laughs> so, she has. And it's also just, it's another one of those things where, you know, the, obviously Charles wants to stem down the monarchy, but then this is what's going to happen. There's going to be all these events that there's nobody to go to. And then weird stuff like this is going to happen. And it's then gonna, like if he slims down in a way that upsets everybody which obviously it already has, but like let's say Archie and Lilibet don't get their titles. And then you've got you know, under the guise Camilla's of ex-husband down. showing up. And then you've got ex-husband <laughs> flying around performing like royal Chelsea duties. Like Chelsea Davey, are you going to be next at an event <laughs> totally stepping should, in? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Gosh. It would be yeah. like, um, you know, the royal family times X on the beach. Do you know that reality show? <laughs> we have to make this extras. show happen. Yeah, yeah, How can we yeah. do this, Jack? We need to make this show happen. <laughs> It will be the best royal reality TV since it's a knockout. It will be so much better than it's a knockout. And there will only be marginally more costumes as well. (laughs) Well, on that note, let's take a quick break and put on our bikinis and prepare for that reality show, Jack. Uh, But before we do, a reminder to everyone out there, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. When we're back, Megan gives a detailed interview to Variety. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hi, everyone, and we are back, and we are looking at Megan's in-depth interview with Variety magazine. Yes, that's right. In a piece entitled, Meghan Markle Lets Her Guard Down, the Duchess of Sussex talks about everything from her days in Hollywood to the Queen, and interviewer Matt Donnelly notes that not only is she forthcoming and full of laughter, she's also very gracious. She shakes the hands of every crew member, stylist, and photographer's assistant after the interview and photo shoot. And yes, there are many photos that accompany this interview, very beautiful kind of Vogue fashion shot photos. Now, I want to dive, if it's okay with you, straight in on something that this got me thinking about, which uh, I just mentioned previously. Right, it got me thinking about titles because Megan said that she would be happy for Archie and Lily to go into the entertainment industry and potentially become, you know, actors themselves. And, you know, she even kind of hinted that she could maybe open some doors for them. Um, and that got me thinking forward to like 20 years in a future that's hard to see in this moment, especially for the royals. Like you could have Archie or Lily sat on the sofa of some big celebrity interviewer talking about the royal family. And if that is going to happen, then Charles might want to think about whether actually he should just give them the titles. Because can you imagine 20 years from now? Archie or Lily giving an interview saying that they were stripped of the titles they had a birthright to because of racism. Like, this could be a time bomb for round about the time that William might be taking over as the new king. Like, that would be a mega interview even then. And if the royals think that they, you know, Charles thinks he can kind of style out not giving those titles on the basis that, you know, maybe there's something critical in a Netflix show or a memoir, like, that is going to be lost to the sands of time by the time Archie and Lily are celebrities. So I think that he needs to seriously listen to what Megan said here and to play the long game and think about the fact that these two kids are going to be adults one day. Yeah. And just to add to that, you said if they become celebrities, I think they're going to be celebrities no matter what. A celebrity is somebody who is celebrated by the public, who there is public interest in, there is always going to be public interest in Archie and Lily. So just cover your bases and give them their titles that they are, you know, that are rightfully theirs. Just give them the titles now. (laughs) They are going to be famous whether you like it or not. Whether or not they choose to work in the entertainment industry in the same way their mom did, uh, whether they choose to be philanthropists, they are just going to be famous whether Charles likes it or not. So take care of it now. 
Take care of it. Rip the plaster off. Just get it done. Just do it. <laughs> and on the subject of, you know, of what commentators in Britain have certainly been anticipating could be criticism of the royal family, we also had Megan talking a little bit more about Netflix and about working with um, the director of one of their Netflix shows, Liz Garbus. And she talks for the first time about the fact that Netflix is going to be telling their story. So we knew, obviously, that they had Netflix projects, that they had the Netflix deal. We knew Harry had this project, Heart of Invictus, which was going to be about the Invictus games. But this is the first time that either Harry or Meghan has talked about the fact that their kind of personal story is going to be told through Netflix. And this comes after months and months and months of speculation in the media about what was described as a reality show or a fly-on-the-wall documentary. I think it was, you know, it was denied a long time ago that it would be a reality show. But we do now know that their story is going to be told through Netflix. Yeah, and and she says clearly, you know, I know people are fascinated with our love story. We are fascinated with love stories. Love is what it's all about. So um, I'm imagining there's going to be, you know, a lot about their relationship with each other, about their origin story, about the day-to-day life of them as a couple. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think, frankly, that's what the public really does want mostly from them is, you know, a, a look into them as a couple. Like, we, we like the Invictus games. We like archetypes. We like all of these projects and the good they're putting into the world. But, you know, for the most part, I think the main fascination for most of the public is the two of them as a couple and as people. Yeah, absolutely. Access to who they really are, you know, the real person behind all the debates and the headlines and all the rest of it. Really interesting to see how far they go. Like, will they have, you know, did they do any kind of filming at all during the period when Harry was mourning the Queen? Did they do anything during the Platinum Jubilee? Obviously, they didn't have like a Netflix crew with them. But obviously, this is the 21st century, and you do not necessarily need to have the full kit and caboodle with you in order to have content. You can record stuff yourself. So that will be interesting. There's also a story around a long time ago about they gave a camera, I think, to somebody from the Ukrainian Invictus team who was fighting on the front line at the time. So through through that side of the project, we might get to see you know, some actually like quite incredible footage from the front line in, in the Ukrainian war. So that would be interesting too. Something else I want to talk about from this Variety interview is that Megan talks pretty frankly about, you know, Me Too, Oscar So Black. And she says, um, you know, what her experiences were and how back when she was in Hollywood, let's remember the last episode of Suits came out in 2018, Back when she was working in Hollywood, she says, we didn't really have a name for it at the time when I was working. There were just certain things that were accepted. If there was any discomfort, you just dealt with it. It forced a lot of women to live with this idea of staying silent, not being disruptive, not giving voice to the things that might create concern or discomfort. And I thought her wording was interesting because it actually reminded me quite a bit of what the standards and practices are for the royal family. Stay silent. Don't be too disruptive. Don't create concern or discomfort. And even though she didn't actually draw lines between those things, I couldn't help but notice that the language was similar. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, Megan was somebody who did try to speak out during her um, acting career as well. She, I think she took it up with the creator of Suits at one point that every episode seemed to feature a scene in which she appeared in the towel. Um, yes. And yes. so she, <laughs> she took the creator to one side and said, look, this is getting ridiculous. It's got to stop. Um, and then, yeah, obviously there were uh, some arguments in the palace too with the, with her desire to change things and to see things done differently. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean, the entertainment industry obviously has seen a complete revolution with both those two campaigns. Institutions yeah. like the monarchy, I guess, don't really do revolution. Um, but yeah, we'll see where, We'll see what changes we see. Maybe we'll see some. <laughs> now, a couple of lighter things I want to touch on also from the interview. Um, she mentions the fact that she enjoys playing Wordle, uh, that they watch Jeopardy together, that her husband, Harry, his favorite uh, food is in and out as far as when they're commuting back and forth to LA, which is about two hours from their house. And they go to in and out so often that the folks at the drive-thru know their order by heart. And I was a little surprised by this because I always think of Megan as very like, LA in terms of her like, oh, green juices and chia seeds or whatever people in LA have, you know, foods that I probably wouldn't even know what they are. Something with like ashwagandha, which I don't think I'm even pronouncing that right, (laughs) mixed with kombucha or something. But I love that In-N-Out is part of their regular thing. (laughs) Yeah, I love that they go so often that the guys there know the order that's that's a great level of like that's cheers level of you know, yes. every, <laughs> they know your name i have do you know what i have one no i have two places where they know my order there's like a little community cafe near my house which is it's on a walk along the canal and so we go there and i always get the same thing and they always chat to us and they know that i write about the royal family so they always chat about the royals with me and then there's another place there's like an italian restaurant which is like a proper 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 italian restaurant to the point that the waiters like absolutely love children Uh, it's like going to italy basically and they fawn over my son and those yeah those are the only two places but i'm yet to i'm yet to develop that kind of relationship at the drive-thru burger king not that we don't go there we do go there Now you have to tell us what your order is, Jack, because now we're all curious. So if it's the community cafe, that is a bacon and egg sandwich. um, Yeah, delish, exactly. And it's on gluten-free bread because I don't don't need gluten. I can't, unfortunately. Um, And then at the Italian restaurant, it's, uh, yeah, I can't eat pizza and pasta. So um, it is like probably, uh, it's like a duck in cherry sauce with sauteed potatoes and green beans yeah it's very nice yeah it's lovely it's lovely all right but but i'm sorry i have derailed the conversation (laughs) we need to go back to this interview with megan and there's just one more thing i really want to talk about here which is the interviewer kind of says to megan you know that thing you did with new york magazine a few months ago that interview you gave them a day in the life with you it seemed kind of snarky. And Megan Which is fair. Yeah. And Megan kind of acknowledges, yeah, it it was, you know, me being really open and I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to stop being open and stop being who I am. But she kind Uh, of suggests that she agrees with the interviewer that, yeah, maybe it was kind of snarky. 
And I mean, it was totally the nicest snarky. tour. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely snarky, but it was a great read. I mean, yeah, I kind of feel like it was a level of snark that should just be tolerated and is fine. That people aren't obliged to only say nice things. And the Variety article is much more like straightforwardly positive. But reading that article from the cuts, it was an enjoyable read. Like the journalist, from a journalist perspective, produced an enjoyable, engaging article so i would find it hard to criticize her like she is entitled to write that stuff in my personal view i think one of the things she said was that megan speaks like she has a a producer from the bachelor inside her head telling her what to say which obviously is very snarky it is also quite funny i kind of think you with these things you just got to take it on the chin um like you can't you know somebody who's as famous as megan obviously like the Daily Mail are going to leap on it and then make hay with it and that's very frustrating for her and it's very frustrating for Harry but at the end of the day like these kinds of big celebrity interviewers who don't do straight reporting who do like the long form feature articles like they do do this stuff it wasn't the kind of hatchet job you sometimes like sometimes that kind of interviewer will absolutely destroy a person I don't think they destroyed Megan it was just a little mm-hmm. bit of snark I got to say, it almost reminded me of a British sensibility of humor, the way it was written. Yeah. And and yeah. I, I, I actually like that. That was one of my first thoughts when I was reading that cut interview in New York magazine was like, yeah, I, I could see where Brits would really love this interview, that they would laugh a lot at this one. It's totally true. It's like a kind of, yeah, Guardian color supplement piece, which I I don't personally associate so much with American journalism. But I love that style of journalism. And I actually think American publications could do more of it. And And she did a really great, like, she did a really great job of producing that kind of feature. Um, yeah, like we, I was reading recently that somebody making the point on social media that you guys don't really have sketch writers. Like, do you know Marina Hyde from The Guardian? No. No, she will check her out. I mean, if you want to read about Liz Truss, like, Marina Hyde is the place to go. She's incredibly funny and searingly, searingly dissects her, like her victims, really. Like she has victims. She doesn't even have subjects. Um, But she, (laughs) sketch writing is like, it's very tongue in cheek. It's satirical. But so what it it is, is it will be like a write through of all the big developments of that week. And she's done the Royals before. Every now and again, she'll do one on the Royal family. And um, it's very, very funny. She isn't always completely fair to her subjects but it's always hilarious um it's very engaging like it's a very engaging style of writing and people go to the guardian for marina hyde precisely because they love her weight of writing mm. um so yeah this definitely the cut piece definitely felt to me like it was from that kind of british tradition of like yeah of a kind of balance between uh almost like you know how gonzo journalists used to weave their own subjective experience into their writing i feel like oh they still do have you heard of the daily mail (laughs) (laughs) but there's a difference between like hunter thompson and tom wolf and yes yes (laughs) (laughs) yes that's very true it's very true as you say in your culture jack you do like to take the piss and we do um, do and and it comes through in your journalism sometimes too (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna take one more quick break but before we do a reminder to follow us on twitter i am at jack underscore royston and Kristen is at Kristen meinzer we always have royal updates there as well as my latest stories for newsweek when we're back more on megan and her archetypes podcast 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hi, everyone. We are back with just a quick hit on Meghan Markle's latest episode of her Archetypes podcast, Megan has released a new episode, which she says includes the most challenging interview she has done yet for her show. That's because her interview subject on the topic of bimbos and dumb blondes is Paris Hilton. And Megan admits that Paris is somebody that she has previously judged quite a bit, somebody who maybe she felt a little envious of. Uh, Megan, who was growing up perceived as a smart girl, not a pretty girl, maybe looked at Paris with um, a lack of charity because Paris was exactly the opposite. So what did you think of this episode, Jack? I thought that was a really interesting dynamic and is one that, you know, we we don't actually like that sort of slight conflict is one that we haven't seen in archetypes before. Um, but obviously, Megan did come to this interview with a huge amount of warmth and affection for Paris. And she said she said so. She said she was nervous about doing the interview. And she, you know, she did do some of the kind of not fangirling, but you know what I mean? Like she did some of the kind of love bombing. That's better work. She did some of the love bombing as well. But yeah, she did say that she, when she was growing up, I guess, you know, Paris Hilton, if you think about the culture war, Paris Hilton is very much like on the, you know, she is the pristine image of perfection and uh, Barbie doll, blonde, tan. Barbie doll, blonde. Yeah. Yeah, Looked exactly like what um, the, uh, image of pretty was for that moment in history yeah exactly now actually like i think a lot of people would probably say that megan in her adult life probably like seems like an image of perfection too right i mean she's obviously a very beautiful woman incredibly well styled the pictures in variety actually just briefly going back to it incredible outfits incredible she looks like a supermodel in every picture supermodel 
And uh, Paris, I think, was quite surprised to hear Megan say that she did, she wasn't a pretty girl growing up. But obviously, people do get to an age where you know something changes, and I like whether they style themselves differently or whatever it is. You know, everything changes. So yeah, like this is this has been a theme in a few of the episodes of Archetypes. Now, Megan saying like she was a lonely teenager and uh, wasn't the popular kid, and went to like after school class or, or not after school class, went to like special, went to clubs during lunchtime so that she. Wouldn't have to sit alone in the lunch hall. So, like, we've this is something that we have learned about Megan for the first time, I think, during archetypes. Yeah. And Paris reveals that she too, you know, didn't have the easiest time as a teenager. In fact, it was very traumatic. When she was in a Utah boarding school, she was abused badly there. Uh, when she started working in entertainment, she was kind of typecast as a dum dum, and she was told to play up the dum dum as much as possible. And 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 Paris says she kind of fell for it. She kind of sunk into that role a little bit too much. She forgot who she was and just focused on what do I look like? Am I being funny by being ditzy? Yes, I am being funny by being ditzy. And, um, and then Megan, interestingly, kind of uh, echoes that and says, yeah, back when I was on Deal or No Deal, I know that feeling. You know, I was exactly the opposite of what I wanted to be there. I I wanted to be appreciated for what I had internally to offer. But on that show, I really was just, you know, I was a cookie cutter pretty girl who had to look like everybody else. Everybody wore the same outfit. We all had our hair styled the same way. We all had the same spray tan. The producers would come up to me and yell at me to suck it in, which I'm like, what? Suck in what? I don't understand what you would even suck (laughs) in. Um, And so it, it seemed that, you know, Paris and Megan actually did end up having a lot to commiserate about and they had a lot in common, even if on the surface it looks like they're very different people. Yeah, so Megan said she did say some of the she said working on deal or no deal did give her some amazing things. It allowed her union membership, she could pay her bills, she got private she got you know health care through her job. Um but she did also contrast it with uh what she had been doing immediately before, which was working in the uh, US embassy in Argentina in Buenos Aires, which she pronounced much better than I can. Um and, <laughs> <laughs> and she talks about that, like, you know, being in the motorcade with the Secretary of uh, with the Secretary of State. No, yeah, with the Secretary of State. Um so so, look, clearly that was a big, big contrast for her and it was an environment that she didn't enjoy. Uh, you know, there's been Claudia Jordan, who also did it, has come out since and said actually she felt that maybe um, it wasn't quite as bad as Megan was suggesting and that the uh, that five of the briefcase girls, as they were called, would be picked each show to kind of uh, interact with the actual contestants and they, they would be chosen based on their personalities and, um, I suppose, their acting skills. Um, but needless to say, I think she does also acknowledge that, obviously, a huge amount went into um, ensuring that they did all look like in kind of images of perfect beauty. Well, it's an interesting listen, and we highly encourage everybody out there to check it out. That's the latest episode of Archetypes featuring Paris Hilton. And that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. Except Liz Truss.